So this week, like I said, we're kicking off the series on some of our values. Uh, today, we're going to be focusing on our value of encountering Christ because it, it is one of, the, one of the things, one of the indicators of a believer's life is that they would be encountering Christ on the regular basis. And we're picking kind of an, an, an interesting scripture uh, to study this because uh, the person who's impacted by this encounter with Christ never actually sees Jesus face to face. So I think it's, uh, it's especially encouraging to me to read this account because this man who experiences this miracle at God's, at God's doing, at the doing of Jesus, is experiencing the presence of Jesus kind of the same way that you and I would experience the presence of Jesus. You know, there are accounts of, of healing in the Bible where, where Jesus spits down in the mud and, or in the dirt, makes mud and gives a guy an eye, right? And sometimes we were like, if I could just stand face to face with Jesus, it'd be a lot easier for me to relate. So if you've ever felt that way, I want to encourage you that this message uh, is written for people like you and I who won't necessarily stand right in front of Jesus, but we can experience the power of his love uh, nonetheless. So we're looking at Luke chapter 7. We're going verses 1 through 10. After he had finished all his sayings and the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. This is uh, he being Jesus. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to the elders of the Jews, asking him to come here his, uh, to heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. He loves our nation, and he is the one who built for us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd, he followed him, uh, turning to the crowd following him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. This is God's word and encouragement to us. Father, help us today to understand a little bit more of your heart towards us and your expectations from and for us. In Jesus' name, amen. To encounter Christ is to approach Jesus with such a, in such a way that you allow his power to invade your life. Because as we draw close to Jesus, we experience more of his power, we experience more of his person, and with that comes transformation that, that has no choice but to happen. It's kind of like as you get closer to the sun, you're going to get hotter. And you get too close to the sun, you're going to get burned up. But the, a change is going to take place as you get hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. The same is true for approaching Jesus. You can't get closer to Jesus without changing. As you get closer to God, as you approach him in in time, as you approach him with your heart, with your mind, with your study, as you approach him with your energy and your effort, you will be changed. It's not so, it's not like a, it's not like an option. It's not like as you approach him you need to work to change. It's like as you approach him, your desires are going to begin to change. Your taste for certain things are going to begin to change and you're going to, to long for, uh, for different things than you used to long for. It's just the fruit of being around him. 
my goal today is to work through this text and make some observations about what's happening. And then I want to make a, a final observation about why God answered this centurion's prayer. We have a person dying. We have, we have a plea made and we have a prayer answered. This centurion is a Roman officer. And he was probably working for Pontius Pilate, who has a pretty significant role at the end of Jesus' ministry. He's the, he's the Roman official who oversaw the stoning of Jesus. Albeit he washed his hands of the whole thing, but it couldn't happen without his authority and without his oversight and without his soldiers carrying out the execution. We think that this, this centurion may have served Pontius because uh, he, wasn't just, he wasn't just a soldier, he was an officer who would have had soldiers under him. So he would have been a man of influence. And, and uh, Romans, uh, the, the way that it would have worked is that, uh, you know, the, Roman, the Romans were an imperial force at that time, right? It was an empire. And so the Jewish people, while we read about them as being the main characters, the Jewish people at this time were, were being, were being uh, colonized or overseen by the Romans. And so the Jewish people had some freedom to do what they wanted to do. And that was kind of the, 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 the quote-unquote brilliance of the Roman Empire. It also led to their downfall. But it's kind of like they wanted to take over as much as they could. So they're like, oh, you can go ahead and keep certain traditions alive. And you can kind of worship your own way. Just don't cross these lines. And so Pontius Pilate had the, the responsibility of making sure that these people in Jerusalem didn't get out of line. They didn't get too far off script of what, the, what was okay with the Roman Empire. Uh, this, uh, this centurion had a slave who he cared very deeply for to the point that he, he, he pursued help when his slave was getting sick and was dying. As a, as a Roman officer... As a slave owner, uh, he could have potentially put his slave to death because his slave was no longer of any use to him. He could have handed him off to someone else, but he didn't seem satisfied to do it. This slave was important to him. And so he, he decided to pursue all options possible to make sure that his slave would survive. So it's just an interesting layering of, of information here that we're getting about him. He makes this plea. Now, he was the occupying force, and he was going to the people who he was occupying, that he was overseeing, that he was ruling over, that the, he was going to the people that were subject to him and asking them for a favor. What a humbling position for this centurion to go and have to ask for help from these people who he's responsible to oversee. So he, he's working out how to do this. He's like, well, I'm not them. I am their occupying force. I have some influence because of my authority and my position. I've done some things for them. It says that he built their synagogue. He's, he managed to maybe open up some funds for them. He, he was a friend to them, at least in terms of being able to help them get stuff done. And so he's like, I know the elders. Maybe the elders will help me out. They, they owe me a little something, something. So I'm going to go to these guys. And then they'll go to Jesus, this charismatic rabbi, this guy who rumors are swirling about the miracles that he's doing, this man who was, who was heard of to have been healing the sick and raising the dead, this man who, was, who had turned water into wine at that, wedding at, Cana, at that wedding at Cana. Right? So you've got this charismatic leader, and he's like, I can't approach that guy. 
He's like, I know how this works. He's like, he's like I'm kind of, I'm on the outside, so I'm going to go and I'm going to use the inside people to influence this charismatic leader to my benefit. And so he goes to the elders and they, the elders bring this man's request to Jesus. He knew, he knew he didn't understand their traditions, their customs. He didn't have the right language. You know, we felt that way before, right? When you're kind of on the outside and you need somebody to take your request on your behalf because you don't, you don't know quite the language for it. When you got to speak, when you got to buy a car, you're like, hey, help me out. What should I say? What should I not say? Or maybe it's buying a computer. It's like, I don't know what megahertz and gigs and RAM mean. Can you, can you give me some language so that I can sound like I know what I'm talking about? Oh, better yet, just go do this for me. And so this is what the centurion does. This, this captain, this leader, he sends these people on his behalf and they go and they make this plea. They go and they make this plea to Jesus and Jesus surprises what I imagine to be just about everybody and his response is, let's go. Let's go to the home of this occupying force. Let's go into the home of a Gentile, somebody who's not Jewish, which would have busted tradition all the bits. Jesus is like, yeah, cool. Let's go heal this guy. There's a need. Let's do it. That would have... I kind of wish that Jesus had been all the way there because there would have been some other dialogue about how many of the cultural rules Jesus broke in order to do that, to draw close to that guy. But he didn't. The centurion says, I'm not even worthy of you coming into my house. I, I know you, you're a significant man. You have, a, he, he goes through this thing about authority and he's like, hey, look, I tell people what to do and they have to do it. It's the way this works. They don't even have a choice. It's programmed into them. I've got a dog. I'm trying to have that kind of authority over. It's frustrating. I went to a, sorry, this isn't obviously beneficial, but I'm going to say it anyway. I went to this dog obedience class, and they're like, say the dog's name once, and then you know, do other things to get the dog's attention so that they don't think that they can ignore your voice. And then when the dog even looks at you, you're supposed to give it a treat, right? Anybody got a dog? This is torture. And so I'm like, Penny, you know, and she doesn't look at me. And so I'm supposed to be like, and, you know, like, they're like, make kissy sounds. I'm like, I'm not making kissy sounds of my dog. This dog will come. And so what I wanted to do is I, I asked my wife, I was like, can I ask him when you just get irate and you start screaming at it? That's not an option apparently in their list. It escalates to giving treats, not screaming at the dog, which is what I want to do. Which, by the way, I now have a dog, so I won't talk about kicking dogs as my illustration anymore. That would, I don't want you to think I actually kicked the dog. But when authority is actually working, you make the command once, and the person does it, unlike my dog. And the man is saying, the centurion is saying, he's like, look, I'm a man under authority and I have people under my authority. And I recognize, Jesus, that you are also under some great authority by which you're doing these great things, but you also have great authority. 
And without even being close to Jesus, just by his reputation, he's like, I know that Jesus would have authority over this and he can heal my servant. And so Jesus, I guess, stops and he looks at all this crowd that was following him, surprised that he's going to this leader's house, surprised that he's going to the house of a Gentile, surprised, wondering if he's going to go do it. Everybody wants to see the miracle, right? It's like, is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? I want to, like, I want to be there. I don't want to miss anything. And so the crowd follows Jesus and, and he turns to everybody and he's like, this man's faith is amazing. And then the next thing you hear, the servants go home, the people who brought Jesus the message, they go back and the person's healed. I like picturing the person just kind of reclining like, what's up? I love that it's all documented that this person was, was so sick because, the, you know, so often, you know, when, when, we, when we experience healing by God, it is a process and sometimes we just remember that we don't hurt anymore. You know, and, it, and it's like this process and we turn around and we're like, oh, I fixed myself. question that I wanted to ask today is really just why did Jesus do it? I was talking to my kids about this passage yesterday and I had to change my message as a result of talking to my kids about it. The reason that Jesus did this miracle, the reason that Jesus healed them is because Jesus loved that slave, he loved the centurion, and he loved Israel. And he wanted his love to be manifested in front of all of them. When the centurion expressed some faith, God was standing at the ready to respond because he loves them. Now, I think this, this, we think that it's all about the, the faith. Don't we, right? Like, I've always thought about this passage, and in fact, I was going to stand up today and preach about, it was about the faith. But it's, a, it's certainly the man's faith moved God. Certainly the faith provoked God and gave and opened up the opportunity for God to move. But it's really that Jesus loves this man because that, that would allow Jesus to step into his world and to bring healing. It was the love of God looking for faith as a reason to move on behalf of these people. So I, I, I know it's, we're so, it's, it's so easy to say, yeah, 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 I know it's about faith. But that's often not how we live our lives. Let me, let me show you some of the things in the story that, that, we might have, that we might have missed and what we normally assign the healing or the power of God to. It says that, well, let me say it this way. Was it because it was brought to Jesus by the elders? No. But that's so often the way that we approach things of faith. Somebody more mature needs to pray. Somebody more spiritual needs to pray. 
Somebody closer to God needs to pray. Somebody with a more spiritual vocabulary needs to pray. My prayer isn't good enough. I haven't been in this thing long enough. I've only been a Christian for a week. I'm just barely becoming a Christian. I'm not even sure if I'm still a Christian. And somebody else should be doing this prayer because, because I'm not qualified to be making this prayer. So let me, let me outsource this to somebody who's got a lot more experience doing this thing. No, 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 no. That's not what, what made this guy heard. But it's so often the way that we approach our places of need. Was it the great things he had done for the temple? Even the elders went to Jesus and said, you should do this because he's been good to us. And by extension, he's been good to you. Jesus, you should be, you should be good. He's, he's got a heart for us. He takes care of us. He, he, he built our synagogue. He's done a lot of really good stuff, so you should heal his slave for him. But that would stand in opposition to all of the other healings that happened. Jesus didn't heal any of the other people because of what they had done for Israel or what they had done even for him. God didn't do miracles because people's resumes were so solid. But so often that's how we approach God and ask him to move on our behalf. God, will you do this miracle? I gave some money in the offering. God, will you do this miracle? I I planted some trees. I walked an old lady across the street. I saved a cat. I don't think that would get extra credit. (laughs) God, would you please? I'll do these things, these things, and these things. And he's like, I don't want your things, your stuff, your effort. I don't want that. Was it his desperation? Certainly desperation and humility is like a magnet to God. He doesn't want to know about where we're so strong. He wants to know about where we're weak so he can be strong. It's not like, God, come to me. I'm so strong and I need you to make me stronger. You're so strong. Go for it, big shot. (laughs) That's how God talks to me. I'm not talking to you. Certainly, desperation can be a magnet to God, but it doesn't produce healing. Desperation doesn't produce health. Desperation doesn't produce transformation. But it can be an ingredient. It can be a great starting point. But so often, desperation turns into, um, turns into uh, self-assurance and self-reliance. I got myself into this mess. I'll get myself out. Well, if God was paying any attention, he, he would be taking care of me anyway. And it can, it can produce the opposite of a, of, a, of a love or a pursuit of God. It can produce quite the opposite. God's obviously, he's not paying attention to me or I wouldn't be in this situation. I wouldn't be experiencing this pain. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, be, wouldn't feel hopeless. I would have gotten that promotion. I would still have that relationship. Desperation can produce exactly the opposite of what we saw happen in this situation. This man allowed his desperation to provoke faith. This man believed 
He believed that all that needed to happen was for Jesus to say a word. And his servant would be healed because he knew that Jesus had authority over all things. Words have at least three, power, three levels of things happening at the same time. There's the cognitive meaning. There's like, what's, what's, how, what do we understand the words to mean? What's the definition of, of the word that we're saying? There's its meaning, which can sometimes be a little bit separated from the actual definition. Sweet. Right? Am I saying it's sugary? No, I'm saying it's good. Sweet. Hey, this thing just happened. It was sweet. It tasted like sugar? No, 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 no. It, it means not what it means right now. It means something different. I'm sure our Spanish translation is having a hard time right now. <laughs> but the thing that's overlooked by, by every other communication theorists in the world is the spiritual significance that comes with words. The words that we speak have the capacity for life and death, for blessing and cursing. The centurion chose to use his words to call life to himself. Jesus, I need you. If you say the word, my servant will be healed. Jesus responded, in love and met this man at his point of need. I want to just simply say today that Jesus desperately loves you. And he sees you exactly where you are. Not where you pretend to be. Not even where you want to be but really where you are. He knows more fully and more accurately where you are than even you do. Because we we have a hard time understanding our actual situation. But he understands it perfectly. And in your situation, he he has love for you. And not just the like love and good feelings towards you. In his love for you, he desires to give you life. In his love for you, he desires to transform you. In his love for you, he desires to to bring you from death to life and exchange your shame for acceptance. In his love for you, He desires for you to walk in the peace and joy of his Holy Spirit. All that's needed for us is to call on him and invite him to send himself, to send his power, to send into our situation and welcome it 